So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. And we're back! And we're so happy to be back. We took a short winter break, and we're really thrilled to be discussing yet another popular Netflix show. Tell the readers of life how it feels to be a girl among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. You're an orphan, Beth. Creativity and psychosis often go hand in hand. Or for that matter, genius and madness. I'm worried about you. Don't make me over. Life! What on earth for? Maybe it's in my blood. My mother went crazy. Went crazy or always was? got your gift and you've got what it costs we are super excited to be back we missed you all over the holiday break um, and we're super excited to be coming back with the queen's gambit on our couch this week so this is a hugely popular show on netflix um it was on the top number one netflix spot for a while um and it came mm-hmm. out just in october um so this has been just a few months out so far and i think this is one of the shows that i have most commonly received texts about from my friends of like have you seen queen's gambit have you seen this show um and a lot of people are really excited about it and it actually led to a spike in chess sets after after it came out, which we'll talk about why. Um, chess is a made point of the show, um, but I myself even purchased a chess set after watching this show. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Dr. Fran, do you know how to play chess? I've always known the basic rules, but now that we have a chess set at home, I'm learning more <laughs> of the strategy. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I know like how the how all of the different like um, pieces move and that kind of thing. I don't know like the openings and closings and all of the no. strategies and I've never played with a clock, we'll put it that way. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, too fast. <laughs> yeah, way too fast. Um but as you mentioned, you know, this is a very exciting and popular show, definitely reinvigorating chess and I think at a time where a lot of us are stuck at home, giving us maybe a new or returning to playing chess during this time. So let's get into it. The Queen's Gambit is an American period drama miniseries based on the 1983 novel of the same name by Walter Tevis. Um, The show follows Beth Harmon, who is played by Anya Taylor-Joy, and it begins in the mid-60s and really follows her into the 1960s as we watch her rise to the top of the chess world while also struggling with drug and alcohol use and dependency. And when we're introduced to Beth, um, she's nine years old, so she's pretty young. Her mom has just died of a car accident. She's taken to an orphanage, kind of starting off in this, you know, really sad situation um, and goes to Muthen Home for the Girls. And there she is introduced to the custodian, Mr. Scheibel, who teaches her how to play chess. And she seems to just immediately catch on to this. So she becomes what we might call, you've probably heard this term before, like a child prodigy in chess. And really that's kind of the story arc we see throughout the show is following her as she develops um, into like an amazing chess player and um, kind of like goes on to become better and better and, you know, compete in all these championships and things like that. But at the beginning, we see her as this very young girl in this orphanage. Then chess kind of is this, like, the one thing that she has that's, like, stable um, in her life that she kind of is, like, predictable and, like, safe for her in this, like, very unpredictable and unsafe environment. 
I like the scene when Mr. Scheibel first introduces, um, you know, Beth to chess. He's playing and she's kind of watching. And when she asks to play, he gives her no introduction, no description of the rules. He really doesn't, in a sense, teach her that first time, right? She just kind of starts taking to it. But he sees how quickly she learns and adapts and picks up on things. And he really takes her, he kind of serves as a mentor teaching her chess and introducing her to other chess players and really opening that world to her, as you mentioned, Dr. Fran, which is almost a bit of an escape and definitely something that she can really put her attention and passion in um, into while she's living at Methuen Home for Girls. Um, and so Dr. Fran just called Beth a prodigy. We hear her called a prodigy. Oh, you've been the best at what you do for so long. You don't even know what it's like for the rest of us. She does, you know, rise really quickly at the age of nine. She's beating all of the high school players. And then, you know, as an early adolescent, she's beating all of the college players and other champions. So what does it really mean to be a child prodigy? Yeah, we wanted to kind of define this because we've heard this term before. We've seen this kind of theme play out in other movies and TV shows, or we hear about these real-life examples of kids like this. And so one of the definitions is typically a child under 10 years old who's performing at the level of a highly trained adult in a very demanding specific field. So in this situation, it might be chess. Another really common example is like a child prodigy in a musical instrument, like the piano or the vi- or the violin, something like that. Um, and just some kind of like interesting background, we do typically see... Um, child prodigies being identified um, that are males or that are young boys. Um, and there are a few re- reasons for that. And I think part of why Beth's story, you know, within the context of the f- of the TV show, but also just as a movie or as a TV show in general, is that she's a girl, right? That she's mm-hmm. entering this male-dominated field. She's amazing at it. And so she's not just better than all the other girls, but she's better than all the other boys. And that's like seemingly more impressive, especially for the time period that this takes place in. And if we think about it in that historical context, most things were male-dominated. I mean, sports, um, games, fields like music and mathematics. So, of course, you know, especially given the 1950s, 1960s, and we're still seeing, you know, the um, glass ceiling barrier being broken by women even in the current day, um, just because they weren't expected or um, really given the opportunity to be in some of these more male-dominated fields. And that's definitely a major theme with Beth and the Queen's Gambit about how she is also um, a female. And so she is largely playing older people and older males. I think they, in the whole show, I think we see her play one other female really and then the focus is largely her playing um, males and just kind of like an interesting plug like there have been especially more recently like as some of the societal norms or like expectations have shifted Mm -hmm. and more women have been allowed or supported in these fields have (laughs) been like women that have gone on to be really impressive chess players like Beth is Um, so there's one in particular a Hungarian girl named Judith Polger um, who achieved the rank of Grandmaster which I didn't know what that meant until I saw the Queen's (laughs) Gambit it's a big deal Um, at age 15 and actually, this was earlier than um, the world champion Bobby Bobby Fischer, which is probably like, if you know any one chess player, it's going to be Bobby Fischer. He's probably the only <laughs> chess player I could name. <laughs> and I think that's really interesting. I was looking into Grandmasters as well, because um, in the show, they'll refer to a lot of the males, like when she's playing, like, oh, Grandmaster Berghoff. We don't really hear her referred to as a Grandmaster, but I think it's because she's more like the focal point, And so we don't hear them addressing her in that sense. But I think she definitely in this fictional world was a grandmaster um, and largely grandmasters have been males, but um, there are, there have been, you know, more and more females. And I think like you mentioned, like Judith Polger who like reached the grandmaster at such a young age. So very impressive. Um, and I think even with Queen's Gambit being so popular, I've heard that there has also been just a new spike in female interest in the game of chess as well. So, yeah. you know, more and more interest there. Yeah, definitely cool. I think another thing that often comes up when we think about child prodigy is kind of coming up with the different, terms and getting some confusion. Um, So another term that often comes up related to someone who's like very specialized talents um, is savant. So we hear that a lot in like different movies and TV shows. Um, And the way that's typically distinguished is that prodigy doesn't necessarily have anything to do with IQ or intellect level, but there is an association with um, someone who's a savant having those specialized like skills or abilities in like mathematics or whatever that area might be in, but also implying that there's like a lower IQ or some kind of developmental disability. So we wouldn't necessarily put um, put Beth in that category. She would fall, it seems like, more in that prodigy category. I agree. And I think, you know, one of some of the interesting distinctions also for a prodigy, as you just mentioned, Dr. Fran, it doesn't appear like they have to have a high IQ or even that that's like a necessary or um, common component. Um, but one of the things that we did find in our research is that most prodigies do score very high in working memory. Um, and so working memory, you know, is this very complex ability that we all have to kind of hold 
information, store it, also manipulate it, use it, process it while you're having other information come in. And I think we definitely see that along with her visual, spatial, and visual um, visualization skills that she has a great mm-hmm. memory. Like she's constantly learning all of these different moves and strategies. And this is kind of jumping ahead, but at the very end when she's talking to her friends, they were giving her all these strategies. If he does this, you do that. If he does this, and I'm like, wow, how can she remember that? But I think that was definitely one of her strengths is her memory um, as it pertains to chess. Yeah. And I mean, if you have ever sat down and tried to play chess as a novice, (laughs) and at least like even just keeping track of the way all the different pieces move is like one thing. And then also like every time you move or the other player moves, you're having to keep track of like what Mm -hmm. other, what are the 15 possible things that could happen next? And like, what am I opening myself up to? by moving this piece. So it's just like so many pieces of information you have to keep in your mind at one time and be able to respond and process it all very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense. We learn a lot about Beth's the way that her mind works. And I think I really like that in the, in the TV show, they have those visualizations that we can see what her mind looks like of like actually having the chess pieces move in the board on the ceiling or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, typically when she's under the influence, but not always. Not always as we see as the show progresses. And I agree. I think that was such an impressive part of the show, just like visually stunning. And um, when again, at the very last like championship, she does see the board. I just find that so impressive how, you know, he kind of mixes it up and does something unexpected and something that she had not planned for. So then in a matter of seconds she has to run through like all the permutations of what Mm -hmm. could happen and what then she'll do and like you mentioned the next like 15 moves um and just so quickly right because if not you get trapped and so um very impressive and i do like how they gave us that like insight into how her mind was working so another major theme obviously Beth's chess playing abilities are the primary theme throughout the TV show. But we also learn a lot about Beth as a person and kind of like different things that she has struggled with from her upbringing and kind of how that impacts her. So as we mentioned, um, she's in this orphanage. She spends quite a bit of the show in the orphanage. um, And we learn a lot about her time there and her relationships there. Obviously, um, she has a positive relationship with her mentor, Mr. Scheibel. She also has like a few close friends that she develops. But there's some fishy things going on in the orphanage, I would say, Dr. Sam. Yes. And so Dr. Fran and I did some digging just into the orphanage experience, especially in this time period, given that it is a period piece, the 1950s and 1960s. Um, And we really see Beth, you know, it's a Christian girls orphanage. So there's some religious affiliation there. It seems like she lives there. She eats there. All of her socialization is there. And she even receives her education there. So it seems like they're taught um, all at the home. Um, And we wanted to look at, you know, what would be some potential aspects or certain things that someone like Beth might have endured or What can we expect to go on at an orphanage like this? One of the main things which we'll come to, uh, which we'll come to talk about, I think, a lot in today's episode is that we see that while she's at this orphanage, they do give tranquilizer pills to all of the girls in what we can only assume is an attempt to keep them docile, right? There's no medical need, no medical evaluation. Every girl lines up and they're given these green pills, which they call green vitamins. The green ones are the best. What are they? Vitamins. Magic vitamins. <laughs> you can't see it, but Dr. Sam is doing air quotes because yes. we know they're not vitamins. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, there is evidence and accounts of um, nuns and other uh, people administering sedatives to children in orphanages, especially in the system during the 20th century in North America. So, you know, you like to, you would hope to watch this show and think, oh, but this is just fictional. This is fake. But unfortunately, this does seem to be a practice that actually occurred and is based in some, um, in some truth. Greens to even your disposition. Orange and browns for building a strong body. Take them both. Yeah, and it's horrifying, right, to, like, watch these scenes. And, yeah, of course, we'd like to believe, like, this could never happen. This would never happen. And, like, oh, that just happened 50, <laughs> 60 years ago. Um, but, unfortunately, yes, there is a abuse and misuse of, you know, kind of power and authority in these situations. And along those lines, you know, there are accounts of physical and psychological abuse from children that are housed at religious orphanages during this time period. And really, I think like in our research, we were seeing like up until uh, at least the accounts that we came across like 1990s, of you know, children reporting physical, psychological and even sexual abuse um, while being housed in orphanages. So there can be incidents of trauma and and abuse occurring to these poor children. We don't see that with Beth Harmon. Um, in the TV show, we do see that the people at Methuen tend to be really strict or, you know, they have their ways. They are 
also um, giving psychiatric medication drugging to them. the children. Yeah, drugging the children, giving them psychiatric medication. Um, but we don't see other instances of abuse necessarily. Um, but we did want to bring to light on today's session that that is something that can and has been reported to occur in orphanages like the one that Beth um, is portrayed in Queen's Gambit that Beth lives in. Right. And even without any explicit reference to other types of abuse, giving children daily tranquilizers is probably a form of abuse, right? That's true. I Yeah. <laughs> Medical abuse, some kind of abuse for sure. Yeah. Um, and it really seems unfounded as well, which is, uh, I think, a big part of the issue. Um, from what we could tell, it seems like the show, the fictional drug that is depicted on Queen's Gambit is called... Zanzolam, um, and we believe it's intended to be like portray basically or be a stand-in for a benzodiazepine, which, like we mentioned, is a tranquilizer drug that acts on the brain and central nervous system and is meant to reduce anxiety or help with difficulty sleeping, um, and sometimes even used to treat withdrawal symptoms, which is ironic as we get to kind of know what happens with Beth. And, you know, it, it is interesting, and unfortunately, it makes sense at the time that something like this might have been happening because, like with a lot of other drugs like nicotine or alcohol, like that it just they just didn't realize how big of an impact these drugs could have on people's systems. And so they were used um, kind of more often than they should have been or in situations yes. that they shouldn't have been. These are now drugs that are prescribed on like a case-by-case basis for individuals struggling with different mental health or health conditions. But this is not something that's just given like over-the-counter to anyone who needs it. or wants it. Um, But at the time, like especially in the 50s and 60s, benzodiazepines had this reputation of being called like mommy's little helper. Because for mothers who were, you know, struggling with like homemaking or feeling kind of down or melancholy, like quotation marks, um, they would just go get their green little pills like we see um, Beth's adoptive mother using. And that was unfortunately like pretty common practice at the time. And it's also very unfortunate for Beth because she leaves the orphanage and then when she is with Miss Wheatley, her adoptive mother, um, she is reintroduced to the pills again and has easy access to them because it does seem in Queen's Gambit that these pills are just very accessible, um, which is unfortunate. And I think, like you mentioned, um, does seem to be a reflection of the time um, that these medications were more readily available. And we do know that benzodiazepines and what it seems like the drugs that portrayed in the TV show, they can produce like tolerance and dependence and withdrawal symptoms, which we'll define those in a little bit, but essentially like that there are addictive qualities to these medications that we definitely see play out with Beth. It's not that she's just taking these because they're fun or because they're enjoyable, but we do see that she has a dependence that she builds up um, and that she has a tolerance that builds up. She's taking more and more and kind of like pocketing them so that she can take bigger doses at one time, which is kind of consistent with you know, a medication that has those like tolerance, dependence and withdrawal symptoms. Exactly. She starts, you know, to collect instead of taking one a night, she starts to collect them while at Methuen. And then she starts to have like, you know, little piles that collect and then she'll take them because she is needing potentially more of the medication to get the same um, uh, physiological response or the same like reaction to it than she was before. And shortly after her arrival, we see that the orphanage actually stops giving out those green pills. Um, And so Beth does start to appear kind of sick. Um, She's having some symptoms and her friend Jolene at Methuen even mentions like that she thinks she's going through withdrawal from lacking the green pills and vitamins. And so unfortunately, Beth gets it into her mind. She devises a whole plan and she, when everyone is distracted, she sneaks into the place where the pills are kept and she just starts like, at first she's just like pocketing them, hiding them wherever she can. And then she just starts taking them by the handfuls. She's just like eating as many as she can of these pills. Um, and in a very cinematic scene, everyone, you know, comes rushing out. She's, there's pills everywhere on the floor and she passes out from um, taking too many of the pills. Yeah, that's a hard scene to watch. I think especially mm-hmm. because it's a kid right of like this poor girl who's like 10 at the time or however Mm -hmm. old she is is like has been taking these drugs for so long that she is now like medically like dependent on them and is like that is so impactful that she's just like shoving them in her mouth and then like passes out and you can see how like that could go like luckily she's okay um, for the time being but like that could easily have gone way worse it really could have and I think you know she probably in her mind is not sure when she's going to have access to them again right so that's why she's like trying to get as many as she can and that's why she just starts eating them Um, and luckily she does end up being okay and eventually you know she does get adopted by the Wheatleys so we meet um, Ms. Alma and Mr. 
Mr. Wheatley. Um, and as we mentioned, unfortunately, Alma Wheatley is also prescribed the green pills. And so um, it seems like there was a bit of a hiatus, like after she passed out from taking all the pills. Um, she doesn't have access to them anymore at the home. And then once she goes to the Wheatley's house, she then is reintroduced to the green pills, again has access and starts to take them again. And we start to see that she starts to depend on them even to help her to perform better. So in competition, mm-hmm. she starts to get anxious or worried um, and she starts to rely on the pills to kind of visualize and help her perform. And unfortunately, under the Wheatley's care as well, she gets introduced to alcohol. And, mm-hmm. uh, and what we do know is that oftentimes there's overlap. People who use one substance are more likely to use the other as well. And throughout the series, we really see Beth drink alcohol, take the green pills, attempting to refrain or abstain from using, and then there are also instances of relapse. So let's dig in a little bit more about Beth's um, relationship with substances. And I think, you know, relationships really is another main theme of the show Queen's Gambit, including her relationship with substances. So do we think that Beth meets criteria for a substance use disorder? I think we should play diagnosis bingo. So in thinking about Beth, we're going to be looking under the classification of disorders called substance-related and addictive disorders in the DSM-5, which we have talked about before, which is the diagnostic uh, criteria manual that we use. Um, And we're going to be looking to see if she matches specifically for what we call alcohol use disorder. I think it's important to note this is maybe not a diagnosis people are typically used to hearing. There's a lot of other colloquial terms we might use to describe this, like addiction or alcohol abuse are kind of the terms that oftentimes we'll hear, but there are some pretty important reasons why there have been shifts in the terminology that we use to describe these disorders. I think that's a great point, Dr. Fran. And really, a lot of our language, as Dr. Fran and I have probably mentioned again and again and will continue to do so, um, is there is such importance on the language that we use. And when we call something, you know, like alcohol abuse or um, addiction even, it can place or it seemingly can place a lot of perceived blame onto the individual and a lot of pressure. Um, And what we know about substance use disorders is they're much like a chronic illness. So people can have genetic predispositions, meaning that these disorders can run in families. Um, There are often physiological components related to why individuals are using the substances. So our language now is really hoping to categorize these disorders much more in that way, taking off the pressure, the blame on the individual, moving away from the stigmatization um, or stigmatizing language. And so now this is officially known as alcohol use disorder, or as as you're going to see today, you can also refer to other substances, and it's just that use disorder. And we will talk about another uh, substance use disorder today as well with Beth. So I think great intro, Dr. Sam. So for alcohol use disorder specifically, we're looking at a, we're looking for a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically significant or pa- impairment or distress. So getting in the way or being particularly distressing to the individual or their family and friends manifested by at least two of the following that we'll go through occurring within a year. So already we're seeing quite a bit of this probably going on uh, for Beth, that there is a problematic pattern of alcohol use Mm -hmm. that's impairing her in some way or causing distress either to her or other people in her life. And it's been going on definitely longer than a year. Yes, you know, I think it takes us from like, I think the show itself, you know, we go from when she's like nine to in her early 20s um, and the substance use disorders um, kind of wax and wane or kind of come and go. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But as we know, in um, substance use disorders is called relapsing. Um, And I think with Beth, it's also important to note that it can be kind of tricky to determine her level of impairment because she does appear to be so high functioning in a lot of realms, right? She is this like professional prodigy chess player. Um, And so I think a lot of times maybe her struggles go unnoticed because she can still perform in some realms, but that doesn't mean that there aren't impairments or difficulties in other areas. And so we're going to kind of talk through like we do in Diagnosis Bingo. We're going to talk through the different um, diagnostic criteria and see which ones, if any, Beth kind of seems to fit into. And we might hit this pretty quick because you only need two, <laughs> yeah. which is actually really low for a lot of for a lot of the disorders we talk about. There's a list of symptoms and you have to hit like five or six mm-hmm. or like four, but only two of them someone has to hit to meet criteria. So um, we're starting kind of setting a low bar here. Yes. 
So the first symptom that someone could have is that alcohol is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than was intended. Sometimes it's hard to tell with Beth, like, what is her intention? Like, is she planning to drink, like, five-fifths um, <laughs> of alcohol that night or, you know, whatever um, she ends up consuming? So we don't really have the internal dialogue to really know that she's consuming more than she intended. Mm -hmm. I would guess it's probably happened to her before. I would agree. I think especially after her loss in Paris, um, you know, initially she comes home, she's really focused on buying the home and updating the home. Um, but eventually she hits a point where we see she kind of is only drinking, like drinking and taking her green pills. She's not caring for her house anymore, not really caring for herself anymore. Um, we even see that she like falls over and like hits her head. So I think that may be an example of a time where maybe she started drinking um, and continued to drink over a longer period. Um, but Dr. Fran's right. We don't know too much about like, you know, the larger amounts. I think at one point, Benny, um, who we haven't talked about yet, but Benny is the former, before Beth beats him, U.S. chess champion. They become good friends and he helps to mentor her in some ways. Um, but at one point, they're sitting at a bar together and he mentions like how much more she can drink than him. And so we kind of do see like just throughout the show, though, the progression of her drinking more and more. Um, but we're not mm -hmm. sure about her intention. And so another potential criteria is a persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control alcohol use. And again, I would argue it's kind of unclear sometimes how much Beth really wants to cut down. Sometimes we see her just quit cold turkey and she goes a while without drinking at all. And that seems to be a successful effort. But then there's typically some type of relapse following that. Um, and it does seem that the, her primary reason for cutting down often is pressure from people in her life that are worried about her. Yes. And, you know, I think this is another one that's tricky is we're not talking to Beth because we don't really know her desire. Um, but I do think that there are several instances throughout the show where we see efforts. So when she is trying to abstain from alcohol or at least reduce her alcohol and pill use, um, and that ultimately um, they are not always successful. So, um, you know, like we've been saying the word relapse a lot, but that's what that means is like kind of abstaining and then having an instance where you return to using the substance. Um, which is not to be perceived as a failure, you know, um, substance use treatment and the trajectory can be, um, like I mentioned, more of a chronic illness. And so it's always focused on relapse prevention and relapses can occur. And so it's kind of where you go from there. And we do see that with Beth. So I think importantly, the things that stick out to me is often there are a couple times where she is confronted about her alcohol use. So specifically with Jolene, we mentioned her roommate from the home, um, Benny, who I just mentioned, and then Harry, another one of her um, close friends who also is a, a chess champion of Kentucky. We can actually listen to a couple of clips where they introduce their concerns about her um, substance use. Shouldn't be by yourself. You know what happens. Maybe that's what I want. Want to get drunk? Yeah. Getting drunk. Fucking bombed. And maybe I too. Why not? Well, you wouldn't if you're with me. I know. You need help. What kind of help would that be? Help with my chest? Because we tried that. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. What are we talking about? My dad drank. He wasn't mean. Or anything, he just got quiet and fell asleep in his clothes. Okay. You smell just like he did. Your eyes are just like his eyes. And your skin is... Oh, my skin. Like I said, I'm worried about you. Sounds and let's look at where you're at. Which, after being here all of five minutes, looks like it's at the bottom of a fucking hole. And it's looking a lot like you dug it yourself. My advice... Stop digging. So we definitely hear that coming up a few different times with a few different people. We hear Jolene talking about her concerns with Beth. We also hear Harry and Benny, like Dr. Sam just mentioned, two of her close friends. And then Jolene is her friend from the orphanage, all expressing concern about her. Um, and this actually relates to another criteria of substance use disorder, which is having impairment in interpersonal relationships because of alcohol or that are exacerbated or caused by alcohol use. And we definitely see that progress and get worse sometimes, especially towards the end or like, you know, climax of the TV show where you know, her relationships with Harry in particular and mm -hmm. Benny are really negatively impacted because they've expressed to her that they are concerned about her drinking, that it's not good for her, that she's harming herself and um, that she continues anyway. <laughs> 
Exactly. So I think you're right. This is really two check marks on the bingo here. Um, after these conversations, especially with Benny, and I think after Jolene, we see that she then demonstrates like an effort to cut down, oftentimes when she's with them. So she does live with Harry and live with Benny for a amount of time. And during both of those kind of periods in her life, she is abstaining um, and then does have relapses after both of those instances. And so specifically with Benny, after she's been living with him, she goes and loses to Borgoff in Paris, comes home, and then right before she goes to Russia and before Jolene returns to her, we see that that's when she's having that relapse where we talked about where she mostly is just drinking um, and using drugs at home alone and really like shut off from everything else. The next criteria um, is a great deal of time is spent in activities to uh, that are necessary to obtain alcohol, um, use alcohol, or recover from its effects. Hmm. I would say there's a few instances there. Like I, I think I'm t- thinking about the situation you were talking about before where she falls and hits her head. Mm-hmm. Not only does that entire event take a long time, but also the aftermath of it you know, takes a while to kind of recover from. Um, so that one's not like as explicitly, it doesn't come up a ton, but yeah. I would say that's a likely criteria as well that she hits. That's true. And maybe one of the largest ones is in Paris when she's playing Berghoff. She is noticeably, again, this is after a time where she had been trying to abstain for the biggest match of her life up to that time. Um, she ends up seeing a friend in Paris and she does um, drink and potentially use her pills. And then the next morning seems to be suffering from what we might think of as like a hangover kind of symptoms. Um, and I, I think that that does take her some time to recover and has detrimental impact on her performance, too. So the next criteria, which I would argue we see as well, is yes. craving or a strong desire or urge to use alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. And we hear this in Beth's own words a few mm-hmm. times. We do. And I think she, you know, she becomes more transparent about this as time goes on. Um, but in the later episodes, especially, she'll express how she's having a difficult time. She mentions that she's afraid to go to Russia. Um, she mentions that she doesn't know what she's going to do after she loses in Paris and then expresses that, you know, she's kind of in a difficult place and she doesn't know what's going to happen or where, she, where, where things are going to go, but that she does know that she wants a drink. And so we hear this a couple of times where she expresses that desire or, um, you know, gives in to these like cravings um, to use alcohol specifically. I need to quit the wine and the pills and clean this place up. That'd be a good place to start. I have to study chess eight hours a day. They want me to play in San Francisco and they want me on the Tonight Show. I should probably do all of that. Who's they? Chess Federation. Um, But what I want is a drink. And we mentioned earlier briefly about how she becomes dependent on substances even to perform. Um, And in the very last episode, when she's talking to Towns, another one of her friends who's a journalist um, and also a chess player who at one point she... um, Uh, had unrequited feelings for Um, she mentioned straight out to him that she is not drinking and she even threw away her pills and that she really feels like she needs them um, to to get cloudy minded and to be able to perform and beat Berghoff so again we see that she really has this desire to use alcohol because she thinks um, you know it makes her feel better and it will help her play better chess what do we need to do to help you beat Berghoff well what I need are the pills the booze I need my mind cloudy to win i can't visualize the games without them really you think that's what brought you here i think that's what i'm used to which is ironic because yeah. another criteria is that alcohol use results in some failure to fulfill major role obligations like at work or school or home and unfortunately alcohol use does inhibit or like impact her chess playing ability sometimes so even though she sees it as this i need this to perform i need this to do well we see that especially in paris she gets really drunk the night before and she's late to the chess match and she's just not on her game. Mm-hmm. She's not 100% like there because she's hungover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do see that in multiple situations that she's unable to fulfill her normal like duties or like things like taking care of the house or taking care of herself mm-hmm. or doing the things that she needs to do um, because of the alcohol use. Exactly. And right before Jolene shows up, that instance we talked about where she is largely just drinking at home alone, she even um, is not answering phone calls. She's not engaging with like the Chess Federation. She even misses a couple of tournaments and events and things um, related to her alcohol use. We also, there another criteria is important social and occupational or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of alcohol use. Can you think of any examples, Dr. Sam? 
Probably just that same instance. Um, you know, usually we see Beth like in between tournaments. She has a partner. She's like constantly reading. She's constantly playing, studying, preparing. Um, however, when she is having this really difficult episode at home, just drinking, um, it does seem like she reduces the amount of which that she's like playing chess and engaging in activities. So that one's a little trickier, I agree. But I think maybe we see it like in that instance. And sometimes I think it's hard to tell, is she giving up other like social interactions yeah. or mm-hmm. other occupation? Like she doesn't have a formal job typically. Like mm-hmm. she's not really doing anything besides playing chess and consuming alcohol at some points. Um, but is it because she's so in- engulfed and like in the chess culture that that's like all she really cares about? Or is it related to the substance use or is it a combination? That's a good point. And that actually makes me think, you know, that um, she took the phone off the wall. So she actually was ignoring any social interactions like with friends, chess or otherwise. So we do see a reduction there as well. Like she doesn't talk to Benny for a while. She's ignoring Harry's calls. At one point, Harry actually shows up. Um, As we listened to that clip earlier, he shows up and expresses his concern and desire to help. And she just, you know, is really um, withdrawn from everyone. Yeah. Another criteria, which we don't really see in Queen's Gambit, is recurrent alcohol use in situations in which it is physically hazardous. Um, So this could be, you know, like driving a vehicle, operating machinery, certain tasks or jobs. Um, We do see the one instance where she falls and hits herself, but we don't really see Beth, like, continuing to engage in things that would be physically hazardous for her to do while under the influence of alcohol. Yeah, I would agree. So of the ones we've named, we've got one at least that she's not hitting criteria for, but quite a few others. Um, So another one is alcohol use is continued despite knowledge of having physical or psychological problems that are likely to be caused or exacerbated by alcohol. We don't learn, I don't think, of any physical issues that she's having related Mm -hmm. to alcohol use. And I think it's hard at the time and like with the level of insight Beth has, like is she, she does seem to be experiencing some psychological problems Mm -hmm. at different times, but I don't know how aware she is of that or how much she's really seeing that that's being caused by the alcohol use or is related to it at all. Or, you know, I think that's just kind of like a really tricky thing for her to figure out. Very true, because we don't really get like a broad sense. You know, I think her alcohol use and the use of the pills is definitely the thing that comes um, to mind first. Um, But sometimes, like we've mentioned, when she does start to to drink. Um, She's more socially withdrawn. Uh, It does seem, you know, it could bring out potential depressive symptoms. We see her also use substances when she is feeling anxious or under the pressure to perform in chess. Um, And we do know that she has some history of trauma related to the loss of both of her biological parents, um, perhaps like, you know, situations related to being in the orphanage. So, you know, I, I think that's a great point. If they are there, they may be exacerbated by her alcohol use. And I, I would agree that I don't know how where Beth is of that. She seems to have some insight towards the end about um, certain things, but I I don't think this one. Mm Mm-hmm that she's aware of. And so the last two um, actually are terms that we've used a few times that we want to define. So the last two criteria, one of them is tolerance. um, And that is defined as either having um, a need for a markedly increased amount of alcohol to achieve achieve intoxication. um, So needing more and larger and larger amounts to get the same desired effect or a diminished effect with continued use of the same amount. So she could drink, you know, a fifth of whatever she's drinking and one time she gets really drunk and the next time she drinks the same amount but she's not as drunk as before so that is a biological like tolerance that she is building that the body is needing more and more of that substance to get the same effect because it's so used to getting it that it needs more to produce that effect and like we mentioned i think we touched on this briefly this is hard to say because we don't like see like actual amounts that she's drinking um, but it does seem like her alcohol use does increase as the show progresses And we do know, which we'll dive into a little bit more, but with her use of the pills, we definitely do see this as she continues to use more and more pills for that same effect. The other term that Dr. Fran mentioned is withdrawal. And withdrawal are physiological symptoms that occur when the substance is reduced or taken away. I don't know if we see it with alcohol as much, interestingly. I feel like we do see the withdrawal symptoms with the pills. Exactly. But interestingly, I can't think of any specific examples where we see her go through withdrawal symptoms, like following withdrawal of alcohol use. Which is actually very interesting. Um, Because to my knowledge, alcohol use disorder is one of the ones that can require medical assistance um, or medical like, you know, just observation and support when you are abstaining because there can be pretty severe withdrawal or those physiological symptoms. Um, So I feel like it is surprising that we don't see many of those with Beth necessarily. 
Although it could be, so part of the withdrawal criteria is that someone then takes alcohol or another substance like mm. a benzodiazepine, which we've also know that Beth takes to avoid withdrawal symptoms. So again, we don't have all the information, but it's possible we don't see Beth having withdrawal symptoms because she's always using substances to avoid those withdrawal symptoms, even if it's in a smaller amount than usual. That's true. And I think like the periods when we see her when she's abstaining, she's been abstaining and continues to abstain. So we don't really see that like very like acute period when she's like just stopped. So there could potentially be. So Dr. Sam, do you think Beth meets criteria for substance use disorder or alcohol use disorder? She definitely does, you know, and I think this is pretty apparent to most of us watching Queen's Gambit. Beth seems to be, um, seems to meet criteria for alcohol use disorder. We mentioned she only needs two and I think maybe she lacked two. So she really met criteria for all or she really kind of matched for all of the other criteria. Yeah, so pretty significant. And, you know, with this, with a lot of disorders, we may also categorize like mild, moderate, severe. We're not going to go so far as to, you know, assign one of those, but I would say it's definitely more in the like not mild range that she's hitting all these different criteria. And like we always say, of course, we haven't been able to talk to Beth. We don't have all of the information necessarily that we might need to further classify. But for diagnosis bingo, she does match. (laughs) And let's kind of learn, you know, I think there's some other interesting statistics and kind of just facts that we came across when we were looking into substance use disorders, um, especially as they pertain to Beth and Queen's Gambit. Yeah. So I think one is that it's, you know, it's interesting in within the context of the show that she's a woman and that she's a chess player. Mm-hmm. It's also when we think about statistically interesting that she is a woman being portrayed as having a substance or alcohol use disorder, because more commonly adult men are diagnosed. So at a rate of maybe 13% versus adult women, closer to 5%. Again, that's not to say that women don't or can't develop substance use disorders, but it is less common. Um, And that might be for a host of different reasons. Maybe it's that they're just being caught more often in men, or there might be different factors that are impacting that. Um, But kind of like just thinking about the prevalence of this among men versus women, we do typically see it to be less common in women. Mm -hmm. I think in Another interesting piece is actually for individuals with alcohol use disorder, um, typically the first episode of alcohol intoxication is likely to occur younger, so in the mid-teens. We don't really see, I guess technically, what is she, 16 when she moves in with Alma? Um, So that's probably close to that time frame. That there's one day where she goes and actually spends time with some other teenage girls and she steals that bottle of liquor and like takes it home. So I Mm. do think, you know, that there, um, it does show that in her teens is when she starts drinking more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So that's pretty consistent with what we would typically see for someone who goes on to develop substance use disorder. Not to say that every teenager who no. has, who gets drunk in their teens for the first time is going to automatically go on to have a substance use disorder, but it is more common. Mm-hmm. And like all of the disorders that Dr. Fran and I talk about, they're very multifaceted. So there are many contributing factors, things that are related to these disorders. And for alcohol use disorder, actually, this is a disorder that um, runs in families. So the rate of this condition is about three to four times higher in close relatives of individuals with alcohol use disorder. So, you know, it you, people who have this in their family or have others that have alcohol use disorder do have um, a higher risk for developing it as well. So with Beth, you know, she at one point, Jolene asks her like, did because um, Beth actually says that her mom was quote unquote crazy and turned crazy. Um, and Jolene asks like, well, did your mom also drink? And Beth says, no, she never saw her mom drink her biological mother. But we don't really know the entire family history. It seems like um, Beth's mother was estranged from her, from Beth's father, from her family. So we don't know the full story there. We don't know the full family history. We don't know if it runs in her family. We do see some modeling by Alma Wheatley, who was her adoptive mother. Um, but we don't mm-hmm. know if it runs in Beth's family. Maybe it's in my blood. My mother went crazy. Went crazy or always was? I don't know. She drank or any such? No, never. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's other reasons that there might be a higher risk for Beth. I think we do also know that alcohol use disorder can be comorbid or can go along with other mental health diagnoses like depression or anxiety. Um, It does seem like there might be a family history of other mental health conditions, and we don't know if those have been passed on to Beth or if she also has some other co-occurring mental health disorders. Um, But she does have a trauma history in different ways, and we do know that that's also associated with substance use um, disorders. So, you know, we can kind of see that there might be other things that might increase her risk profile for developing something like this. 
And interestingly, I came across a study that talked about individuals that have a low level of perceived father support um, had increased chance of having substance use um, developing in their adolescence. And so I thought that that was really interesting because for Beth, she obviously has very low level perceived support from her biological father, and then her adoptive father also is not supportive at all. Um, So another risk factor for her. Something else that's interesting for Beth is having alcohol use disorder can also be associated with other substance use disorders. And this is, again, something that we do see in Beth. Yeah. And, you know, this section of the DSM is really interesting because it's probably one of the longer ones Mm -hmm. because essentially there is a different diagnosis for a bunch of different categories of substance use disorders. So there's alcohol use, which we just went over. Mm -hmm. There's also a cannabis use disorder, opioid use disorder, Mm -hmm. inhalants, PCP, stimulants, tobacco, Mm -hmm. and sedative, hypnotic, or angiolytic use disorder, which we would probably also consider for Beth, given her use of the green pills, which is a benzodiazepine that we're hypothesizing, which would be in that category. Yes, and we kind of went through this as we went through the alcohol use disorder criteria. So they are similar for the sedative, hypnotic, and anxiolytic use disorder. Um, And she does meet a lot of the same criteria. Like we talked, they're like interfering with her interpersonal relationships, her chess playing, um, all of the various factors that we've discussed. And, you know, interestingly, like alcohol, these agents are also brain depressants. And when we say depressants, it kind of means like slows things down. (laughs) Yeah, so we definitely see two co-occurring substance use disorders for Beth. We've got, you know, the benzodiazepines and then also the alcohol use. And again, we do see that people are at higher risk for having more than one of these when they have one, which makes sense, right? We had talked about before how like withdrawal symptoms can be mitigated by using the other substance um, and that they have a similar effect. And so we see Beth go back and forth between these different substances throughout the TV show. Definitely. And I think also as Beth struggles with various things throughout her journey, um, we kind of see that when she hits more difficult times, so the loss of her mother, the loss in Paris, like very, or her, the loss of her adoptive mother, um, various kind of difficult times, we do see that she tends to relapse. And so I mentioned earlier that for treatment for substance use disorders, that really a focus is on relapse prevention. Um, and substance use disorder treatment is very complex and multifaceted. Like many of the treatments we discuss, it's very um, individualized for that part- for that. Um, particular individual, also what substance that they're using. Um, But there are components that kind of are cross-cutting for all the treatment types. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, we don't see any type of treatment for Beth, um, not any kind of formal treatment, which which, would have been interesting, right? We love to dissect and talk about how accurate the treatment is portrayed. And so we won't get super into the treatment for substance Mm -hmm. use disorders today. um, And we really hope we can cover that in future episodes that actually have a depiction of treatment so we can kind of give a better sense of what that might look like. But there are some components that are pretty common, like Dr. Sam mentioned, across um, substance use treatments. I also wonder if it's like for the times, you know, how many people were actually receiving um, treatment for substance use disorders. And, you know, people do reach out to her and say that they're worried that she needs help, but they never really discuss like what kind of help that is. Um, But what help might look like is um, behavioral counseling. So um, therapy. Also, like I mentioned, certain substance use disorders can um, benefit from the use of medication when people are, um, you know, stop when people stop using the substances. Um, Also, there are various medical devices and applications that can help to treat withdrawal symptoms or help deliver certain skills that they're learning to abstain from substance use. Um, Like we talked about with Beth, we're not sure about how many co-occurring mental health conditions she might also have, but it's very important that if there are co-occurring conditions like depression, anxiety, PTSD, or trauma, that those are also evaluated for and treated because those can exacerbate or make treatment more difficult. Um, And then really long-term follow-up. So we mentioned this is like a chronic illness. And so long-term follow-up, long-term involvement in treatment to help prevent relapse. And I would say even though we don't see any formal treatment, the closest thing we see to what seems to help Beth get through these periods and, you know, spoiler alert to some extent, like it does end on a positive note that, you know, she goes on to win the world championship and it's amazing and she seems to be on a good foot of like i'm not going to drink or use substances anymore and that seems to be largely because of the social support Mm -hmm. and the people in her life that have been there for her and continue to come back even after like time and time again there have been these like relapses or issues that have come up 
us. And I think, interestingly, this is one of the things I mostly took away from Queen's Gambit. Like I mentioned, it does seem like there there does seem to be a theme of, like, relationships. We see early on that, you know, yes, Beth is struggling with substance use. She's trying to become a grandmaster and champion of chess. Um, but she also has a lot of loss in the show. So she, you know, loses her biological mother. She loses her adoptive mother. They both pass away. Um, she doesn't have a relationship with her biological or adoptive father. And then as she does develop relationships like with Harry, Towns, Benny, we really see that she kind of pushes them away after a certain point when they start to get close. Um, and so she has difficulties with these interpersonal relationships. And then she doesn't keep in touch with previous relationships. So after she leaves Methuen, we don't see her keep in touch with Mr. Scheibel other than asking to borrow like five or ten bucks and she doesn't really keep in touch with Jolene so for a lot of the show she seems very isolated um and it could be um it could be in the context of her like having all that loss being an orphanage feeling like she has to be very independent but social support is something that she struggles with in the beginning of the show and you know I think that's such a good point of like trying to understand why is she pushing those people away? And it's a a hypothesis could be that, you know, she's so used to loss and people abandoning her or not sticking around for whatever one reason or another. And it's just easier for her to be on her own than to kind of continue to lose people. And so, or even maybe to test people, right. Of like some of these, especially like Harry or Benny, like these relationships she develops later of like, are you going to abandon me when I like push you away? Or are you going to keep coming back? Um, And luckily for Beth, we see that she has a few people in her life who do keep coming back like especially harry and benny like every time they like come back and support her it's like very heartwarming it is yeah it's very heartwarming and i think you know i agree with your hypothesis um i think there is a part of beth that appears like afraid to lose relationships or get hurt and at one point we actually hear her describe her um her relationship with chess and she even mentions that like you know like you talked about earlier that it is safe and that she's only she can only blame herself if she gets hurt It's an entire world of just 64 squares. I feel safe in it. I can control it. I can dominate it. And it's predictable. So if I get hurt, I only have myself to blame. Um, So I think that kind of gives us a little bit of insight into her relationships kind of generally. Um, But then as she comes closer to becoming the champion and as the show progresses, we do see and Beth starts to realize that these people have always been there. They're, you know, even um, Mr. Scheibel, after he passes away, she realizes that he has kept every clipping and like newspaper Mm -hmm. article about her and really followed her career and still was very invested and cared about her. Um, Harry repeatedly shows up trying to check on her. Benny is calling her, trying to check on her. Um, They both know that she struggles with substance use, and they both mention, like, you know, trying to help her in that way. Um, So I think, like, as the show goes on, we see that her social support system is building. I think it just takes a while for Beth to also realize and see that. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like that impact it has on her as we wrap up the season or as we wrap up the show is that like these people are here to stick around. They're not Mm -hmm. going anywhere. They care about her and that she's worth it, right? Mm -hmm. That there seems to potentially be this like, it doesn't matter. I can, you know, drink my night away and it doesn't, the consequences don't matter. The only thing I'm really living for is chess. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of towards the end of the show, she realizes like I have these other people in my life. I have other things to live for that are like, positive and that like I maybe want to live for myself too true and chess is a very individual game so she's like used like not only is she like used to trying to be independent but even in chess like it's kind of more of like it's only you and your mind right um but interestingly Benny mentions that when she's going to go up against the Russian players that they play um a much more collectivist approach right like they help each other out they play as a team versus Americans we're very individualistic don't play as a team um and interestingly I think like that I don't know, is it a metaphor analogy um, plays out in the end? Because like throughout the whole show, she's kind of this like lone wolf. And then at the end, um, Benny, Harry, you know, she's playing Borgoff and they call her, they help her strategize. Towns shows up and is there to support her. And so at the end, she is part of a team, um, which I thought was like a very nice sentiment. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. I'm such a sap. I cry at, yeah. at anything, especially happy things. And so like, I remember tearing up during that scene where like, they're passing around the phone and they're all at Benny's like studio apartment in New York or whatever. And <laughs> I remember just being like, it was so cute. Hello? If he goes for the night hidden with a king rook pawn, 
I also teared up like we'll talk about this in our impressions but I felt like you know the end was kind of redeeming uh, for me like I really appreciated the end and I thought that Jolene you know she's kind of an underutilized character because she's kind of there in the beginning and she shows up at the end but when she does show up um, she really appears for Beth when Beth is maybe at one of her lowest most difficult points and she helps Beth to abstain from alcohol she even helps to fund her go to Moscow Um, and I think that Jolene is maybe one of the most like insightful and poignant characters in the whole show it's like every time she was talking I was like oh wow like I want to take notes of these quotes but I think let's give a quick listen here when she describes like her relationship and others relationship with Beth and about how Beth really has always had like this support system and family we weren't orphans not as long as we had each other you understand what I'm saying I'm not your guardian angel I'm not here to save you you I can barely save me I'm here because you need me to be here. It's what family does. It's what we are. So what I love about that clip is just like I think like I mentioned, Jolene puts it so well that like even though people might not always be there, like people are there for you during important times and they're there when you need them and that's what really makes a family and and I think that really resonates with um, Beth and I think then when we see her at the end like we mentioned with Harry uh, Benny and Towns when they shall all show up for her she's like ready for that support too and like um, I think really benefits and like we mentioned she had thrown away the al- alcohol thrown away the pills she has her social support like you know they call it like your chosen family like around her and she wins the championship and she definitely uh, it definitely ends on a positive note. Yeah, and as we kind of alluded to before, social support is hugely important um, for people in general, um, yes. <laughs> but also especially within kind of the recovery process for substance use disorder. Um, and then there has been research showing that it can be predictive of like, you know, responding well to treatment and for abstaining from substances. And so we do see that that's a really important role for people in general. And we see that with Beth. Yeah, I thought that was one of the really cool components. So I'm a little bit biased, but social support is an area of interest in my own research, um, not related to substance use disorders. But I really did like how it seemed like that fit in with the show. So when Beth did have more perceived social support, so when she was with Benny, Harry, Jolene, um, she did have greater what we call self-efficacy. So like our perceived ability um, to abstain from alcohol and using the pills. um, And it did seem to be a positive factor for her, which was really cool. So that brings us to the end of Queen's Gambit and Dr. Fran. What did you think of the show? I know we've left like little breadcrumbs throughout, but what did you think of the show overall? So I think it's probably not going to be a surprise to people, but I really enjoyed this show. It was really good. I do think it deserves a lot of the popularity and acclaim that it's gotten. Super entertaining. I thought the acting was really great. I think Beth, um, the character, the actress who plays Beth, I hadn't seen her in anything before. I will give a plug that she's in the most recent season of Peaky Blinders. So that was kind of a fun overlap because um, I love that show. But if I had to give any critique, it might be just the ending. Um, like I appreciated that it was this like very wholesome, happy ending. And at the same time, I feel like maybe there was a sense that it kind of oversimplified like the recovery from like as intense of a substance use disorder that Beth had. Um, and like, we're hopeful that she like is abstinent and, you know, develops great relationships with the people in her life and things turn out really well for her. Um, but I think it just kind of like it, oversimplifies like what that recovery process could be for someone who's gone through everything that she's gone through. So that'd be my one critique, but overall I really liked it. What about you, Dr. Sam? All right. So bit of a hot take. (laughs) I did like the queen's gambit, but it was kind of like a slow burn for me. It was like one of those shows, which when like I wasn't watching it, I didn't have the desire or the excitement. Like, oh, I need to get back and watch Queen's Gambit. But then once I had it on, I really enjoyed it and, like, got sucked in. And as it progressed, I got more and more into it. So, like, by the end, like, I felt 
you know, I I agree. I didn't like the like perfect bow kind of ending, but I really did like the increase in her like social support and like when her friends really being there for her because I think a lot of us were seeing that, but she wasn't. And when it was made more explicit, I thought it was done really well. I thought the acting was great. I thought it was really cool how they took chess and made it exciting and enjoyable and you know more relatable um i think it's great for the game of chess i'm sure um and i agree i think the actress that played beth um anya uh she did a phenomenal job i thought she portrayed just like the passion and emotion of her you know playing chess as along with just her life i thought she did such a great job um and i think you're right i i know she's also in the the split series, um, you know, those that that trilogy of movies, oh, which I'm okay. sure will make an appearance on our couch at some point because those movies also tackle various um, psychological and mental health um, topics. So but overall, I did like it. I just think it kind of it really, really grew on me. Um, but I thought it was phenomenally done. And the wardrobe. I wish I dressed like Beth yes. Harmon every day. <laughs> I love the wardrobe. Yes, the wardrobe was great. And I think the, um, like the scenery too, like the houses and, you know, just like, it's like a fun period piece. Like what they did a very excellent job with all of that as well. Definitely. Um, and now our DSM-5. So diagnosing shows and movies, what rating would you give the Queen's Gambit based on the psychological themes? So like, you know, substance use disorder and things that we talked about. Have we given anything a five before? I do not believe so. I, I'm like a, such a middle rater, like I have trouble giving anything a five. So I'm going to say a four, <laughs> I think. But I, I feel like it could border on a like there aren't a lot of things I can say negatively about how it was portrayed in terms of inaccuracy. All right. I am going to agree. I will give it a four. I think that the best portrayal of the substance use disorder, um, you know, like, it, it didn't seem too exaggerated. It, like, rang true, as we talked about with the diagnostic criteria. I do agree with you, though, Dr. Fran. I feel like it did um, downplay the effort and what goes into, um, you know, abstaining from substance use and then, you know, preventing relapse. We didn't really see the treatment aspects, and that could also be a nature, like we talked about, of it being a timepiece. Um, but I do kind of dock it for that aspect. Um, and then I think... It was a very, Beth Harmon is a very complex character and we really only scratched the surface. So I think we could also even go further based on her like history and potential other um, difficulties that she's having. So, All right. Well, session is over for Queen's Gambit. Don't forget to check out our website for resources and the glossary of some new terms covered in today's episode. We also want to hear your thoughts on Queen's Gambit. Do you think it would, did it live up to the hype like I thought it did? Or are you hot taking like <laughs> Dr. Sam is and weren't as impressed? We want to hear about it. Um, we also want to hear any questions you have about psychology in general and what movies and TV shows you want us to cover next. And I did not, I was not, not impressed. I was impressed. It just took time to grow on me. I just want to say, I don't want to to be too hot of a take but anyway please join us next session as we put to the bone on our couch we're excited to cover to the bone next session to bring awareness for eating disorder awareness week so look forward to that and find and follow us on social media be on the lookout we have a really fun surprise coming out to our freudian scripter listeners and as always please subscribe rate and review time's up see you next session We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. <laughs>